Hello, and welcome to another episode of Two Guys and a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Today, I am coming to you from Jakarta. I am in uh, taking a little trip to Indonesia, and uh, I'm in the hotel room right now. And much like how when you went to Vegas, you were in the mood for a Vegas horror movie. Uh-huh. Craig and I have been talking about doing this Indonesian horror movie for a little while, but and it just seemed appropriate to delay it until I could give you the Indonesian perspective. Yep. <laughs> well, at least. Yeah, but you've been there, what, just for a couple of days, right? Yeah, I've only been here since, uh, what, one, two, three, four. This is my fifth and final day here. Oh. Yeah, I'm going to actually be moving on to Japan after this, so I don't know. If you want, next week we could do a Japanese horror movie. Well, maybe, <laughs> but uh, I'm curious. I don't. I know as close to nothing about Indonesia as a person can know. So, oh yeah. What what are, what's your what are your thoughts? Uh, Jakarta as a city is probably one of the last places people actually go to when they go to Indonesia. I'm here visiting a friend and her family, but. Um, Actually, uh, Indonesia, believe it or not, I think it's the third most populous country in the world. Okay. It is full of people, but, you know, it's not like you can tell. You know, it just looks like a big city here in Jakarta. In fact, the traffic's not that bad. It's a very modern city here, and uh, it's extremely hot and uh, humid, and so it seems to be, as my friend described it to me, mostly shopping malls. Okay. <laughs> you go go from one shopping mall to the other, stay in the air conditioning, you know. Um, there's outdoor food places that are kind of fun to go to. But most people, when they come to Indonesia, they'll go to, like, Bali, which is a more uh-huh. of a resort area. I think it's a very popular place for my Chinese friends and my expat friends in China to go to on vacation. Australians, uh, because of its proximity, often come up to Bali for vacation. It, it, pretty much all over Asia, Bali is seen as sort of like the Hawaii you know, the place you go to. Sure, sure. Um, and it's an interesting country. Like, right now, Ramadan is happening. Uh-huh. Indonesia has sort of historically been, well, they were originally colonized by the Dutch. Now, they're not anymore, obviously. And uh, it's it's a, it's quite a mix of Muslim, Hindu, Christian population. Interesting. Quite a few Chinese who came over as a refugees from some of the persecution that the Chinese um, had undergone in different parts of Asia. And so, yeah, it's quite a mix, actually, kind of quite a cultural mix and uh, quite a religious mix. And like I said, because Ramadan's going on right now, like places are closed. Oh, yeah. Um, that started, what, like two days ago. Restaurants and things are still open. Saw a movie, saw the Mario movie yesterday. <laughs> it's a big treat for me, to, you know, living in China to get to the cinema and actually see something because so few sure. Western movies come through there nowadays. But yeah, um, when my friend, uh, I have this dear friend who's Indonesian, and when she learned that I had this uh, horror podcast, Podcast, uh, she said, oh my gosh, she said, Indonesia makes amazing horror movies. You know, I've read that now. I didn't know that. I, didn't uh, I don't think we've ever done an Indonesian movie before. This is the first one. I think, you know, they get overshadowed by the, the K-horror and the J-horror yeah. you know, when it comes to Asia. Indonesia apparently has this very long history of horror movies and quite scary. That's what I hear. Very superstitious people, as she tells me. Uh, you know, everybody's uh, kind of seems to believe in ghosts and a lot of the Indonesian horror movies are are ghost stories. They have lots of different legends of particular ghosts and Uh urban legends and these kinds of things. And so this movie, she said, is very much in the wheelhouse of a typical Indonesian horror. What we're doing is 2017's Satan's Slaves, which is a remake of a um, 1980s uh, horror movie. I was really toying between doing the original, but I thought it might be a little more interesting to kick off with this one since it is a little more modern. 
Yeah. I was looking at some clips where I saw a trailer for the original. It did actually look pretty freaky. This this is a remake, but like also a remake slash Correct. prequel, yeah. right? Because since this movie was made, they have made a sequel. And what I read is that there's another one planned, I think, but that they are all supposed to be tied together. Yes. Like, I think ultimately the original movie is supposed to be the last movie in the sequentially yeah they all focus around this particular house i guess but yeah the director joko anwar is about our age he's grew up watching horror wanting to do genre films and the success of this one which was one of his first uh, in the horror genre anyway really kind of cemented his resolve and his success in order to make to go on and make several others and uh, he's he's pretty active and, and working right now i think one of the big faces of Indonesian horror. And I guess it also kind of kicked off a kind of a remake thing. Like uh, after he remade this, a whole bunch of other older Indonesian horror movies uh, were getting remade, not just by him, but by other directors here. So there was like a little trend for a while. I love stories like this. Like he loved this movie when he was a kid and it had always kind of been his dream to remake it. And what I read was that uh, it was already in the works, like some studio or something already was planning a remake but somehow he weaseled his way in and he got his hands on it and he got to remake it i I love stories like that (laughs) apparently like he snuck into a movie theater to watch it when he was a kid (laughs) that's how special the movie is to him yeah it's a cool story right it is a cool story. The movie itself was giving me a bit of the Conjuring vibes, especially originally. I don't know why. It, it's also kind of like your typical haunted yeah. house uh, ghost story. Yeah. Um, kind of a mix, actually. It, it, I thought this would be very J-horror, you know, or something like that. I don't know why. I just kind of tend to figure that, you know, the Asian cultures have these sort of similar ideas of what ghosts are and what they would be from. But it, this was a bit different. I actually got to watch this movie with her, so she was um, telling me different... Um, different things that I I wouldn't have been aware of otherwise culturally, so I'll be able to kind of... Well, I'm fascinated by that because it really is a very kind of typical haunted house story. There are elements of, like, Rosemary's Baby Mm -hmm. or any other satanic cult-type movie, but there were... I think the thing that I was most interested about, and so I'm really excited to talk to you about it because maybe you can shed some light, um, are the... specifically Indonesian elements of it. Because in the end of the movie, I'm not spoiling anything, it's a ghost story, folks. (laughs) Uh, But in the end of the movie, there are like these, oh, entities, I don't know. Um, I, I, had I not been listening to the dialogue, would have probably thought that they were meant to be zombies. But I actually looked up what they are, and they are a specific type of ghost that's specific to that culture, which... I would have never known. Did you all talk about that at all? Uh, we did a little bit. I mean, she's told me about, like, just in ghosts in Indonesia in general. And, and um, she said, you know, a lot of people here do believe in ghosts. Uh, and they believe that there's this particular, like, the scariest one. Sort of like the La Llorona of Indonesia, where uh-huh. there's a woman who is dressed in white and has this long black hair and all that. And if you see her, and if she sees that you see her, you're pretty much gone. And... I've seen, like, prank videos that that are on, like, YouTube and stuff where people have, like, dressed up like her and, like, just been up in a tree while somebody's walking down the road and waiting for, you know, makes a little noise. There's kind of, like, a screeching noise. And then when they look up and see her, like, people, like, 
flip gout. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> it's cruel and funny at the same time. Yeah, we. I, I don't know all the. You probably you might even know a little more of the details though than I do. So it'll be kind of good for you to tell me because I didn't actually look that up. No, I don't know. I was just like I just googled what are the zombies and Satan's slaves. I I don't know. I just I remember they had a name. I wanted to say it started with an N, and I looked it up at the time, but. You know, in in all honesty, I watched this movie a few days ago, so uh, I don't remember exactly. Maybe maybe I'll figure it well, out before we're done. But I had actually heard of this movie before because Shudder pushed it pretty heavy. I think that they got the exclusive rights to it, so they will claim it as a Shudder original or a Shudder exclusive. I think they just got the rights to it. But um, there is a sequel, and... Shudder may have actually been involved in the production of that one. I don't know. They're both Shudder exclusives. But when the sequel came out, they pushed them both pretty hard. So I had heard of them, but I have to be in a pretty specific mood to watch a foreign film. Uh, I do, but uh, I have to be in a particular mood. So I hadn't watched this yet, but I'm glad now to have seen it. I liked it. I, I will say that I think that it was a pretty traditional ghost story. I, I definitely see why you would compare it to The Conjuring. It also um, centers around a family. So like The Conjuring, it, it also reminded me a little bit of Insidious. Yeah. Even Poltergeist, because you've got this tight family element. In fact, it reminded me very much of Poltergeist, because at one point in the movie, somebody who is advising this family who has been being plagued, being haunted by these ghosts, somebody tells them they're going to try to split you up. Your strength is in your unity. You have to stay together. And that's an essential element of Poltergeist, too. Yes, that's right. So it reminded me of those things. I'm, I'm a little bit nervous to talk about it because my ultimate judgment is I think this is a good movie. Did I love it? Like, I thought it was fine. Uh, And I think that it's well made and it's a good ghost story. There was nothing particular about it that made me say, oh, wow, this is fantastic. But that could also be a cultural thing. Well, I I think that um, for me, I had a similar feeling. I was really into it for the, although it felt, I mean, (laughs) I, ha- I even hesitate to say it felt like I'd seen this before because, like, pretty much all the horror movies I see, I feel like I've seen right, before. Right. Like, you know, there has not been much novel. I mean, you know, it's just they're mostly ghost stories, and, and this especially, like you said, mine's very similar territory to um, Western films we've seen, possession films, uh, kind of across cultures, all kind of end up, you know, in a similar way. I found it very spooky. I found it very creepy and scary. Um, there are quite a few jump scares in there. And then about three quarters of the way through, I felt like it kind of went off the rails. I felt like the story was going in a particular direction, and then for almost no particular reason other than, I don't know, the desire to throw in a twist, it just, there's a twist that just kind of comes out of left field. And it's not like a, ooh, wow, that's amazing. Well, anyway, we'll talk about it when we get there. But I, I, needless to say, I was just a little more disappointed in the last, like, 20 minutes of the movie than I was with the first, you know, hour and 20 minutes. So cool. Yeah, we we can talk about it as we go. As we go. I don't know how you want to approach it, because the the story is really pretty simple, right? Yeah, it's um, it's also period, which I kind of liked. It was cool that it starts out in the 1981, I thought. I don't think that I would have even noticed that if I hadn't known going in. 
that it was set in the 80s. Well, it, and a- again, you know, we're talking about a different country. So I know very much what the 80s were like in America, but I don't have any idea what they were like in Indonesia. Yeah, there is uh, less technology. Uh, technology doesn't really play much of a role in the movie at all. No cell phones, anything like right, that. Right, so people are potentially more isolated. And these people are more isolated um, because this house that they live in is kind of out in the country, right? Yeah, it's this huge A-frame house. I'm God, even looking at the house from the outside, I was like, this is almost like an Indonesian Amityville. <laughs> All right, look to it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's kind of a house a bit out in, in the rural area. Uh, obviously, like here in Jakarta, everything looks modern and and uh, and new. There's sections of town that are, you know, obviously a little older and whatnot. But generally speaking, I even thought it was pretty handy for him to set this out in a rural area because then you have less work to do. You know, to try to yeah. to try to you know get the the older cars and things in there. I even read that they had to search quite a bit to find um, yes some of the months I think well, for the city scenes, like the scenes where they go to some older some apartments in the city. I think. Oh, okay, yeah. that's true. I they also uh, had to search for this house location. Yes, I think that they they wanted to use the original house from the original movie, which apparently is still standing i oh, guess wow. um but but the owner wouldn't let them <laughs> so they had to find they had to find another place but eh, i don't know i don't even know that i all i can say about the setting is that the house is you know it, it's appropriately spooky as it should be but kind of as all ghost story movie houses are like I kept wanting them to turn the lights on. Like, just turn on the lights. <laughs> and and it also, it's a really dark movie. Now, I had to watch it on my phone, which sucks. So it was especially dark for me. But it is a dark movie in a lot of it. So, you know, it's a atmospherically good in that way. It's also conveniently directly adjacent to a cemetery. <laughs> right. <laughs> Go figure, right? Like the house yeah. has a cemetery on its grounds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> out, in the, out in the forest, out in the woods, out in the jungle, I suppose you could say. Yeah, it's pretty funny. It's a, it's a fine enough setting for it. Like you said, isolated. It really helps, especially later in the movie, that it's next to a cemetery. Right. But there's a little bit, like there's a little bit of supernatural exposition i guess like when it opens up like over the credits by the way i watched the dub version did you watch the dubbed or did you read the uh, subtitles? i read the subtitles yeah that's just okay, my well, speed good <laughs> we could i know i used to be that way too i just have gotten old and lazy <laughs> and and to be fair the dubbing on this is just okay <laughs> oh, yeah. it's just okay but uh it starts out you hear a woman's voice chanting what translates to charms of the king and queen come to me send the children and just mm. chanting that over and over again but then the exposition is sets this up as though it is a family drama yes it's about this um i don't know what class they would fall into because the mother had been a famous singer she has been ill for over three years and the first scene we see is her oldest daughter Rini. Talking to, I don't know, an executive, I, I suppose, um, about royalties. And the executive tells her that there are no more royalties. And the daughter's like, I don't get it. I hear her songs on the radio. Her, uh, I see her albums in the stores. How can there be no royalties? And he, he's like, well, there just aren't. <laughs> and that made me really mad. I was like, this guy is lying he's to totally you. totally lying. <laughs> so regardless of 
how her mother's fame may have allowed them to live at some point, they're not wealthy now and they're struggling to just get by. Mm -hmm. And it's her, her dad, her mom who is bedridden, um, and she has three brothers, three younger brothers. Uh, There's Tony, who is the next after her, and then Bondi, and then Ian, who is deaf and speaks in sign language. And he's like uh, six or five years old, I think. Six. He's six, six because yeah. he's turning yes, seven. Yes, that's right. That's right. And their grandmother, <laughs> her dad lives with them as well, obviously. And then their grandmother is in a wheelchair and she doesn't uh, speak much at all. Not much, right. But that's that's fairly typical in many places other than america that uh yeah everyone lives together grandparents right everybody lives together Mm -hmm. and so there so we've got this you know established that they are in trouble they are in uh financial trouble and you know the dad says he's gonna go off to try to earn some money in the city the oldest brother like sells his motorbike um and they're they're also kind of you know, caring for their mother. Tony seems to have a particular bond with her. He, like, combs her hair at night. But then weird stuff starts happening. Like, Rini finds Mama out of bed, but it's not really her, and I think that was a dream. But then the same exact thing that just happened repeats, but then it is Mama, and she drops dead. (laughs) (laughs) This was explained to me, too. Well, there's like a series of things that happens. Um, And and I thought, actually, the movie did this fantastic job of jumping you right into this family and its plight. Yeah, it's paced really well. Yeah, like uh, ten minutes in, and you are five minutes in, really, and you really understand exactly what's happening, like you said. Their house is mortgaged, their savings are gone. Dad's going away to get some money, but I'm not exactly sure how. I assumed he would be working, but that was an assumption. Yeah, it was some little project. And then... And then I think also right away, as soon as she kind of comes home and goes upstairs to see her mom in bed, there's some spooky camera angles. And the camera work here is very unsettling. I thought that was a little unique to this movie. I mean, don't get me wrong. Horror movies have got some creepy camera work. But the way that this camera, when things get intense, kind of it floats and it cantilevers slightly and it does this in just this noticeably disturbing way i thought that was very effective and before anything creepy is even going on we're getting this as she goes upstairs to see her mom for the first time Ex- explain what that means to me like i'm stupid oh <laughs> well like the camera is sort of handheld at this point but not bouncy jumpy handheld you know like documentary style but very smooth steady cam style but the movement is a little more like deliberate and slow and as it moves the camera tips so that it's no longer horizontal so that you know Uh, it's tipping kind of sideways a little bit uh, in either direction and just the way that it did that i thought was um it triggered me a little bit i don't know you know just kind of like psychologically and and there were several times in this movie where the camera just starts at that horizontal position and then sudden and then slowly cantilevers for no good reason at all. And it's creepy. I, it's it's a bit of a Sam Raimi trick, honestly. You know, he likes yeah. to do this thing a lot, and I felt like there was quite a bit of inspiration from Sam Raimi going on in some of the cinematography here. I can see that. Well, that's that's why out of the gate I said I think it's a good movie. I think that it's skillfully made. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the the cinematography looks good. It, it is dark in places, but um, it does look really good. And I think that the acting is great. 
I was totally in this. I thought everybody was really good, especially when you're working with um, kids. Now, to be fair, the youngest boy doesn't have a whole lot to do, but they're young actors, yeah, uh, and it's good. And I and I was invested uh, in their story. I felt for them, and I was I was curious as to what was going on and why. And I feel like the movie adequately describes that or explains that. Yeah, but. It's it's suspenseful and well paced. You don't you don't get a third act exposition dump. Yes, you learn things as you go, and uh, it's it's interesting and suspenseful. And like you said earlier, you know, it's it's very much plays like a family drama at first. You know, it's this family that's just dealing with this very sick mother, and they've got money problems. And uh, throughout that, very naturally, we get a great exposition, or we just get to. I mean through the actions of what's going on we really get to learn about this family and their family dynamic and they just come across really you know relatable and understandable and we see mm-hmm. how everybody relates to each other and what role everyone has like it's really smooth and and we don't often get that honestly good character development in horror movies and uh and, That's we, true. and we do here so it's it's quite nice but it's like you said it's like a bunch of, of scary freaky things are happening before before yeah, spooky, mom dies spooky stuff yeah like her, her mom rings a bell right when she needs something right she's not talking she looks you know almost like she's starving and uh looks kind of freaky anyway she's just pale and she's very thin and right sunken eyes they never say at least that i recall what is wrong with her she's just very very ill right. and, and then she dies now of course we come to find out that they're potentially could be supernatural reasons that she's ill or maybe you know, I don't know when to reveal what, but but there is outside stuff going on. There is weird stuff going on. And like you said, spooky stuff, like ghostly figures lingering in the background. Lots of suspense shots where the camera will pan across somebody's face in close-up, but then as it pans, you see in soft focus in the back a creepy figure yeah. lingering. Yeah, that happens. Then they will turn around and it won't be there anymore. But then maybe they'll turn around and it will be there. Like yeah. typical stuff. It's classic I mean, this is, stuff. It, it's typical haunted ghost stuff, but done well. It, it is spooky. Well, I I think one of the scariest moments, of course, she's got this bell. So it's established that she rings this bell. And, and so, you know, it goes upstairs. At one point, I think the very first time we're introduced to her, Rini goes up and sits down on her bed. But her mom is like ringing this bell frantically and she's staring up at sort of at the ceiling or maybe out the window but it looks almost like up at the ceiling and Rini kind of looks up and she's a little freaked out by you know the intensity by which her mom seems to see something and then like Tony goes up to comb her mom's hair which which she's losing the window blows open and when he goes to close the window and turns around she's looking at her weird and then you know one of the scariest moments I think in this in this sequence is it's night and Rini wakes up is walking through the house, sees her dad sleeping on the sofa. She goes upstairs. Again, very unsettling camera angles. And from behind, you know, she sees her mom standing looking out the window. Again, like this classic setup, as she's approaching her mom, you're thinking, okay, like, is that really her mom? What's going to happen when she turns around and sees her face? She touches her shoulder, but then she hears the bell ringing. And when she turns around, she sees her mom is laying in bed, ringing the bell frantically. Uh (laughs) And then this figure slowly turns sideways. And it appears to be her mom, like a younger, healthier version of her mom. But she's got this really evil grin on her face. And then when she wakes up again, boom, it's like 
the same scenario. She wakes up, she hears the bell ringing, she walks through, she sees her dad. My friend explained this to me, said that this is actually kind of like one of these Indonesian beliefs, like if you dream something and then, and then you wake up during the day and the same thing is experienced, that there's a ghost involved. Ah, interesting. Yeah, because it, it, it happens at least a couple of times. Mm-hmm. The best jump scare for me was we, you had mentioned, or I did, I don't remember, uh, Tony, the oldest son, would comb his mother's hair. Like, that was, like, their bonding thing or whatever. Um, and after she passes away, he wakes up in the night and thinks that he hears her ringing. He rolls over in bed or something, and he hears really, really loud, Tony, comb my hair! Yes, and, oh God. And, and it may... <laughs> this is one of the only benefits of having to watch it on my phone was because I had my earbuds in, so I could tell that the sound mix was great here because that line came through so loudly from behind my right side. It sounded like somebody was behind me. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I did jump. Again, I mean... Little things like that, technical things, really can make a big difference. Mm -hmm. And had I not had my earbuds in, maybe I wouldn't have noticed unless I had been in a good theater, you know, with a a good sound system. But... um yeah, it, it, it spooked me out. It was good. Yeah, it's real creepy. Well, um, the second time around, that figure in, in real life is actually her mom. Her mom's bed is, is empty, and uh, that's when her mom collapses into her arms and they have a funeral. Her dad rushes in. The whole family's crying. The Muslim burial tradition is that you wrap the body in white, and then you uh, you lower it into the grave and you expose its face. I didn't know that. I was curious. Yeah, that's uh, that was also explained to me. And then because of that, there's also an Indonesian ghost that sort of hops around that uh, is still sort of kind of wrapped and hops, which would be okay. Yeah. Cool. Now that I think about it, I think that uh, at the end when they are besieged by these supernatural creatures, I think they're wrapped in their white shrouds. Mm-hmm, exactly. Come to think of it. Yeah, it's all kind of death, death, uh, funeral type stuff. And then Bondi is re- reciting this thing that, that we heard about earlier that his friend told him, that uh, if once the last family member work, walks 40 steps from the grave after the burial, the body wakes up, realizes it's dead, and then dies again. There's a Muslim prayer group in the house, but it's clear that this family is not, I mean, there. it's just... Um, understated that this family is not religious because there's a few comments here and there there's muslim prayer group is going on inside the house after the funeral and i think it's um tony are just sitting there as these guys are praying and uh, dad even mentions to bondi i think that his family isn't into superstition so um he doesn't need to be afraid about his room because he is a little afraid at times. You know, they just, they're just they just getting a little creeped out here and there. And then Dad has to leave the house to go and raise money. Uh, and they are, it's also conveniently mentioned that their phone is disconnected because they have the money problem. So here you go, classic situation. No phone, isolation, graveyard nearby. Dad's gone, and it's just these four kids in the house now getting along, and immediately scary things are happening. Bondi goes to, goes to gets up out of bed. Uh, he shares a room, actually, with Ian. And actually... I really like yeah. their dynamic. I did too. It's that typical, the youngest kids, maybe a little closer in age, uh, sharing the room together, and uh, Ian speaks in sign language the whole time. And they all seem to know quite a bit of sign language, but especially Bondi and him, you know, just basically talk back and forth from their, you know, their twin beds that are across the room. And there's a window there, 
And he wakes up and sees somebody walking around in the graveyard with a flashlight. And uh, Tony gets up, hears, uh, was listening to his radio in bed, and his radio is playing his mom's song, and he turns it to another station, and then it kind of mysteriously goes back to his mom's song. And then he turns it back again, and then it almost sounds like it's giving... I, I, I don't know if this was supposed to be, like, uh, this earlier discussions their family had had, or something that his mom was talking, or something like that. It seems like seems to be coming over the radio. I didn't know because those in in the version that I watched the du- the dubbed version, those parts were not dubbed. Oh, they weren't translated, huh? No. Oh. No, they weren't translated nor were there subtitles. So I had no idea what what was going on. There. Yeah, something like that. But then you know, he hears his um, mom's bell ringing and so he goes upstairs into his mom's room and sees the bell that just kind of falls from the bed and and then the the plumbing stops working. So they have this well that is uh, in kind of a little house attached to the house, right? I didn't understand that at all. Like, I th- uh, okay, I, I can, I can, you know, are, they've got a well. All right, fine. Why was that also their bathroom? Like, yeah. I didn't, like, like every time they have to pee, they go take a piss right next to the well. Like that. That's gross. Probably wouldn't be what I would do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Apparently, especially like if you're, you're, you know, boys out kind of in the woods or whatever. Like this isn't this isn't atypical. And then you just take some water and you just kind of dump it across the floor and it just kind of washes into the ground. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I get it. Like when 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 I when we're talking about a well, like this is like a big, it's huge well. Yeah. It's, uh, I would say, probably, oh, I don't know, four or five feet in diameter. It's stone. It's dug way down. At some point, we end up down in there with somebody, and, like, the water's clean. I'm sure it's all fine. I would just feel weird about pissing right next to my water supply. Right. <laughs> That's a good point, all right? Uh-huh. Well, it's, it's sort of like their washroom. So there's a well on one side. Yeah, there's yeah. sort of a tub on the other side. Obviously, the whole place is, is plumbed, but for some reason, the water's not working, and they can just drain drop a bucket in and get some water anyway. It's pretty convenient, I suppose, to have it attached to the house. At first, I thought, you know, they actually had to go outside for it, but it's it's just right there. It's like a door at yeah. the end of the hallway that you go through that leads straight into that room, and that room is suitably spooky. I mean, the minute I saw this room, I'm like, all right, we're going to have some well scenes. Yep, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're going to have some yeah. spooky well scenes, which seems to it be... It is. seems to be a par for the course in modern horror films, especially... Uh, Especially Asian horror when, you know, since yeah, uh, the, the ring. ring. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah. Those two boys sharing room, Bondi looking over at Ian in the night, in the dark, that was so reminiscent to me of something else. And of course, there are lots of movies where siblings share rooms and weird things Something Wicked This Way Comes, something like that. Yeah, well, right in uh, one of the Conjuring or, bo- or two of the Conjuring movies, I don't know. There are lots of them, but it, it reminded me of something so much and I can't think why. But atmospherically, it's great. It's very spooky and it's very ghosty and, and you know, the mom dies and they are seeing weird ghostly figures around and then creepy stuff is happening and the grandma like gets up in the middle of the night or something and the next thing we know somebody finds her dead at the bottom of the well and they're like oh she must have just slipped and fell in there i guess grandma who doesn't really walk yeah (laughs) and and then weird things continue to happen and i think that for a while they think that grandma is haunting them yeah but then i think that later on they think wait maybe she wasn't haunting us maybe she was trying to warn us or maybe she was trying to protect us in some way there are also these 
ancillary characters. Yes. There's is he a, a priest or or something that moves in? Yeah, or later. next to them, like right before mom dies or right after mom dies or something. Ustad uh, is a term for teacher, and he's obviously I don't know. I originally I kind of thought he was maybe an, an imam or something, um, but uh, yeah, he's like a Muslim, almost like the Muslim father, the Muslim, Muslim pastor who seems to be right. a good friend of the family, and he has a son. Right. Who was the son? Hendra's the son, and he's probably about Rini's age, and they kind of you know strike up you know, a conversation at the mom's funeral. And so so they're there. Rini, when things start getting weird, they can get information from him and some guidance from him. He's more really just kind of a, oh, I don't know. He, he comforts them. He doesn't really do a whole lot. He's just kind of a source of comfort. But after the grandma dies, they also find this letter that she had written and addressed but not sent. And so they take it to the address and they deliver it to this weird guy (laughs) and like i guess the letter in the letter she was asking this guy to save her family and it turns out this weird old man is a friend of grandma's and he tells them this story about how the grandmother didn't bless the grandmother is the mother of the dad i think didn't bless the son's marriage because one of them was infertile the mom was infertile, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think, well, number one, because the son was an artist, and so, like, she didn't really approve. And number two, yeah, because they couldn't Whose mom was she? Was she, the, was she the mom's mom or the dad's mom? She was the mom's mom. Okay. Yeah. Um, anyway, whatever. So she didn't approve of the wedding. The grandma, like, this old guy just tells us this. Like, okay. The grandma believed that mama didn't ask God for her children but asked Satan. Yes. <laughs> it's a bit hokey. <laughs> it is. And that's that's the first time we're introduced to this notion, which ultimately is true. But, like, that's just, oh, maybe she didn't ask God. She asked Satan. <laughs> we'll come back to that. Put a pin in that. Put a pin in that. We'll come back to it later. It, 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 might, be, it might be important. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, <laughs> instead of giving him the whole spiel, he hands him a magazine, uh, uh, her a magazine, and says, read my article about it. <laughs> oh, my God. That was so funny to me. Like, here, I wrote an article in this magazine. Read it. It, 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 it so sounded to me like, you should listen to my podcast. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so- <laughs> right. Or some douchebag who doesn't want to answer questions. Like, I tell you what, I, I answered all this in my book. Book. Go buy a copy and oh, read God. it, and then if you have more questions, get back to me. It's hilarious. It, re- it to me more than that. It seemed like he was really proud of the fact, yeah, that he had like published this article in this magazine, and he thought that that was going to be really helpful to her. <laughs> what I have next to my notes, and I don't even remember how it transitions to this, but we see the two little boys in their room, I think, and Bondy. Maybe they're not in their room. I don't know, but we see Bondy, and he's chanting over and over to himself, I don't want to kill my little brother. I love my brother. And he just keeps saying it over and over again. So something weird is going on. Yeah, and it's just a sudden change, really, in Bondi. It's it's quite sudden, and it's uh, it's pretty creepy. He's staring at him creepily. Um, Ian's watching TV, and he's behind him, just kind of staring at him. The, one of the scariest moments, I think, is when they're laying in bed, and it might have been just after what you mentioned. Boy, does the does the camera play with you. I mean, you know something freaky's going to happen with Bondi. You're just not sure what it is, and so it's that classic bit where 
we get a close-up on Ian, and he turns away from him in bed, and then he kind of turns back to him, and I'm just waiting for something, you know, once the camera pans right back up, what's Bondi going to be doing, or is he going to be standing next to the bed, or, you know, what's the deal? Bondi is laying in bed, and his eyes are closed. He's clearly asleep or pretending to be asleep, and he is signing in his sleep very deliberately over and over for Ian, I want you to die. Oh, I didn't catch that. Oh, Jesus. That was, that was I thought, one of the freakiest parts of the whole movie. <laughs> so. That is creepy. Well, and I hated that. Like, obviously, there's something going on. Obviously, some outside force is affecting Bondi. But I hated that because they had so well... They were so it's just good, good filmmaking. Yeah, they've established that this family is tight and... Bondi and Ian, especially the two youngest brothers, are really close in uh, direction, acting, writing, all comes together. Like, I'm invested in this family. And the fact that Bondi is struggling against this, whatever it is that's trying to sway him, to manipulate him, he's fighting it. Oh, it kind of just tore at my heartstrings. Yeah. It was, it was good. It was horrible. I mean, he's the most vulnerable kid in the whole, in the whole movie, you know, and so especially the fact... But nobody's ever really worried about no. him. Like, he suffers it on his own. Like, nobody knows that this is going on. Exactly. And he's a strong kid, too. I mean, you know, it's kind of surprising how much he can take without, like, making a big deal out of it. And then there's just some kind of random odd stuff that I almost wonder, like, maybe would be explored in a sequel. Or there's a record of her mom's that was put on the record play quite a while ago and uh, she's playing it as it's going around she notices the label is, is coming off and when she looks at it more closely she realizes that under the label there was another little track to the record a hidden track and yeah. so she starts playing it but it doesn't make sense but then it sounds like backwards talk and so then she spins the record backwards which is you know this is this classic thing as well yeah yeah i, I don't even know what it was saying really i don't either because again not dubbed or subtitled so i didn't know if it was saying anything but eventually far too late in my in my opinion but she decides to go ahead and read that article uh, or i know that's so <laughs> funny to me like like he he gives it to her and she looks at it and is like okay but then she takes it home and waits a while yeah. to read it and then it's like uh, and then when she reads it it like totally lays it out it's hilarious <laughs> like it's they're they're talking about it and she's explaining it i think to tony to Tony or whatever his name is. And she's like, it says that um, it's it's the story of satanic fertility cults. Mm -hmm. And uh, they make deals with these women who can't have kids. But the, the bargain is, like, they'll give them children. But the last born child must be surrendered to the cult so that they can sacrifice him when he reaches seven years old. Mm. Um, and Tony's like, wait a second, how old are you? And she's like, 21 or something. And, and he's like, well, I'm 15 and Bondi's uh, 11 or something. She's like, they're all six years apart. They're all about six years apart. So before she got sick, Mama always had another baby before the youngest could turn seven. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that that was not really a great plan, <laughs> <laughs> right? Mama, how long? Like that keep this that up? is that is not a sustainable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but whatever, clever. Um, and and then they're like, wait a second. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, first Tony's like, uh, God, I remember going to like mom's events, like her her concerts and stuff when she was young, and there are always these weird people there. <laughs> and then and then he's like, Wait a second, doesn't Ian turn seven in three? and and yes and yes but there is a stipulation that the the child can only be taken if the family willingly gives him up yeah but if he is taken then he'll be taken by the living dead Mm -hmm. Uh, which is what happens and then lots of other creepy stuff happens grandma's wheelchair moves around by itself Mm -hmm. i don't know i don't know how much of this you want to talk about because it's just a bunch of creepy stuff yeah basically basically is yeah well, this woman is appearing everywhere, which it seems like the teacher, Ustad's uh, son, seems to think is a evil entity that it just looks like her mother, but is not actually right. uh, their mother. According to the article, they can't defeat the creature, but they can disobey their rules, you know, like you said, like you said, by not giving them up. Um, and also, one thing that's mentioned in the article is that the women in the cult are impregnated by the men in the cult. Yeah, they don't reveal that until later. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like Tony just randomly brings it that just, up later. It's just kind of oh, by in. the way. Don't, isn't it weird that we all look different from each other? This totally explains <laughs> yeah. it. <laughs> See, which all along, okay, so at that point, I guess I hadn't really thought about it all along. It really was at this point specifically that I thought, what does the dad know about all yes, this? Yes, like, exactly. Like, if, if all of the children are fathered by different men, it seems weird that he wouldn't know anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was definitely wondering, why is dad gone? Mm-hmm. Yeah, why is he gone? That's a good question, but he does come back eventually. The preacher's son, uh, the guy who starts, whose name starts with the H, uh, he eventually goes back to that old man. And <laughs> this is where things I thought got kind of silly because we're seeing all of this stuff where Ian is definitely in peril. Bondi is still menacing him. It looks like he's going to you know, get it. He kind of steals a knife, but then the knife gets found and all this stuff. He's still looking creepy. And then uh, the, the preacher's son goes to the old man and the old man's like, there's a new development. Here is my latest article. It's unpublished, but you need to give it to the family right now. <laughs> and he hands him mm-hmm. this letter. I thought that was such a contrivance, honestly. Oh, this whole sequence. Oh, I know. It's silly. But the the whole sequence was very The Omen. Yeah. You know, like He's... anybody who is involved in this is going to, you know, <laughs> to be fair, this is great. Like, so the guy... Uh, Hendra or whatever his name is takes the magazine and is he he's riding a like a motorbike right uh-huh. and he's taking it and he gets not just hit by a truck but run over and it's one of the most realistic looking oh my god accidents that I've ever seen I thought it, it looked like could it could have been I mean how would a camera ever have been placed at that angle to show it but it looked so real every bit of it, it looks real really good he gets hit he gets run over and then um he gets dragged under the car for a little bit first and and you see it like you oh. see his face being dragged along the pavement oh it just looks terrible and then they they carry his body back to his father and and you don't see too much of the aftermath but oh boy i just thought that was super effective it it had that same kind of realism of those same type of supernatural accidents yes, in the omen you're right it's um, very the it omen it felt very real and very violent mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then dad sh- dad's home 
And he says, tomorrow we're going to pack up our things and we're moving to an apartment downtown. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But this is when Rini approaches Dad because she's having the same idea we are, right, uh, about the, the night um, her mom died. Because there was an earlier scene where Dad actually said something to the mother. It was way back early in the movie when Mom was still alive, and so you don't think much of it. But what he had said to her, if, if you wrote it down, because I had was please spare the children something like that uh-huh. and he's real coy about it he won't really tell her what he said but at this point all hell starts breaking loose because ian's going to the bathroom and the door slams and they find him down in the well and dad dives in after him oh that was spooky dad breaks open the door just in time to see that ghostly woman pulling yes. ian down into the well and then dad dives in there and looks around underwater and eventually pulls him up but you're right i don't remember like the exact sequence but they're they're all packed up they're going to be leaving but their car never arrives mm-hmm. and they just shrug that off like ah. I guess they must have got tied up or something. I'm thinking, no, this is terrible. This is his birthday night. Yes. They're going to celebrate his birthday at midnight in the At midnight, right. They were going to sell right, in their new home. But now they're not in their new home. They're in the old home. And, of course, midnight comes around. Again, lots and lots of spooky stuff that we're skipping over. But um, eventually they look out and all of these things are coming towards the house now first it's like the cult members gather around the house yeah they all have all these people shrouded in black and i don't remember how they get them to leave i think they just beg them to leave Mm -hmm. and then you see the cult members all of them reach out their hands and drop something onto the ground i thought they were scattering dirt i didn't know what it was so then they're still there maybe that's the night before his birthday or something i don't know um but then the night of his birthday they read again. I think they, they get somehow that new article, that new information, <laughs> and it says that the, the cult members don't actually collect the child. The cult members just mark the spot where he can be found. And it turns out that they had dropped these red seeds Yes, um, you know, actually, all around the house. I have a bracelet made from these seeds. I haven't seen these seeds in years. I, I think I got it in Hong Kong or something. It's just these beautiful little red seeds that you can Yeah, they are. There. So that was kind of an interesting element. And then it turns out, again, according to his new article, that that last child is actually... The Antichrist, basically. The Antichrist. Like, none of this suddenly makes sense anymore. I was on board with the story up to that point because it was all quite straightforward and spooky and, and again, kind of like what we've heard before. Now, why is the last son the Antichrist? <laughs> well, and, and and they never use that word, to be fair. Yeah. They, they say the son of Satan. But I was all, I was still very, not confused, but interested because... I did. They're not Christian, so yeah. I guess it doesn't right? matter. Like, I mean, Satan's there anyway. It's gonna take the sun. I, see, I don't know. I don't know enough about. But I, I, the Muslim faith. I, well, they're not Muslim. I mean, even either. the title. They have no. Oh, the cult. Yeah, the cult is. Uh, well, whatever. Yeah, I. I don't know. But satanic, whatever. They're buddy. Satan's slaves. Satan's. <laughs> It's Satan. (laughs) It's Satan. So they're there, like, at night, and now Ian is acting weird. First of all, he can talk now, so... Oh, that was freaky. That was freaky when he started talking. Um, And I was also very impressed with that very, very young actor. I would guess that kid was maybe six. Mm -hmm. Um, Super young. I, I don't know if... I I know nothing about him. I don't know if he actually is deaf and they dubbed his voice or, but I mean, he seemed to be 
pretty proficient in sign language. That could just be coaching too. I don't know. But it was very unsettling when he just started talking and he starts talking when all of this crazy, scary stuff is going on and he's gleeful. Yeah. So you really kind of come to realize this is, this kid is not who or what we thought he was, or at least he's not anymore. Which comes out of left field. I mean, it's either one or the other, right? Either he's being taken by this cult uh, and he's in danger or he's actually not in danger because he's going to willingly go to the cult anyway because he's actually Satan's seed. You know, I just thought that that last twist was like a little disappointing at how sudden it was. It 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 got a little nonsensical at that point. Well, it does seem that he goes to them willingly. Now, what I've been trying to get to is after the cult, then I whether it's later that night or the next night or whatever, around you know the time of his seventh, you know, midnight, his seventh birthday or whatever, then. That's when the supernatural entities start to approach uh, in mass. And it seems like they're coming out of the cemetery. It looked very much to me like Night of the Living Dead. That's what it looks like. Mm. But I did find uh, these uh, entities are, I have no idea how to pronounce this, but they are Pakong. Uh, which is a Javanese ghost that is said to be the soul of a dead person trapped in their shroud. Mm. Known in Indonesia as cane, kafan, the shroud is the prescribed length of cloth used in Muslim burials to wrap the body of the dead person, and there's more to it than that. Um, And I didn't even notice this, but uh, apparently one of these pokong um, is Hendra, the kid who got run over. Oh, Um, Oh, I didn't notice that. So there are even familiar faces So there's kind of this showdown, and ultimately, and this didn't surprise me, I kind of felt it going this way. They get the kid. Yeah. The kid basically (laughs) goes to them, more or less. Yeah. Yeah. They get him, and he goes away. He almost, like, waves goodbye, gleefully, (laughs) to the family. And then the grandma's friend, I think, shows up out of nowhere and just throws throws them all in his van and there's like a tense moment where you don't know if his van's going to start and the ghosts are outside and then it just starts and they drive away cut to black come up on this brightly lit city street one year later and uh, the family is living in an apartment in town mm-hmm. and it seems like they've adjusted <laughs> yeah, I don't, the, the ghost the, the, the ghosts got what they wanted. Now they're safe. It, I, I just keep thinking, like, what, are the, what? Aren't they pissed at the father? It seems like to me that the father left knowing some shit was going to go down. Because yeah, but see, was, that's not suggested. I didn't think it was suggested. It wasn't suggested by anyone. But I'm just logically thinking. Why did he leave? Why did he tell mother to be merciful on the kids? Why was he so coy, you know, when the daughter was asking about all this? I mean, he clearly knew everything that was going on, so he would also have to know about the bargain. And then he could Okay, see, and I, I didn't pick house, up on right? all. Like, come on. I didn't pick up on all of that. To, to finish out the movie, this woman, a neighbor presumably, um, comes over and gives them food and then goes back to her own apartment where she talks to her husband and her husband says, um, we have to make them comfortable here. We have to make sure they never leave. Um, and it shows on their wall that they have a, a huge world map with push pins all over it. I have no idea what that means. Mm-hmm. But the wife says it's almost time for another harvest and then she and her husband dance and the chi- and the the credits come up and roll over them dancing they've got a big shark yeah right 
Oh, that big jar of the Red Seeds. That's right. So obviously they're somehow connected to this cult. Yep. Did you read about the sequel? No, I didn't. Okay, I did. This sets it up, and I I kind of thought that you must have. And, you know, folks, this, this podcast is always full of spoilers. Uh, so if you don't want any spoilers for the sequel, don't listen to this. The dad does have something to do with it. Oh, he does. Uh-huh. He's got uh-huh. to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I'm kind of interested in the sequel now. Well, it, it follows the family. I think that it starts, I think that the sequel opens uh, in the 1950s and we get some more exposition, but then it catches back up with this family huh. um, and, and follows them more. Uh, yeah, I'd be interested enough to watch it because I think that this was a good movie and I was invested in it. I was interested until the end. I just, I don't know, I just didn't walk away from it thinking, wow, well, that was amazing. Like, I have to tell people about it right away. I just thought, yeah, that was good. You know, it was, it was just another good movie that I saw. I, I probably, a year from now, I may not even remember much about it, but I liked it. Anymore, I kind of feel this way about these movies. I mean, how many haunted movie, you know, possession haunted house movie kind of can you see? Especially the modern ones, like like how many times have we referenced other films <laughs> in, in right. talking about this movie? Oh yeah, this is just like The Omen. This has got a bit of The Conjuring. Oh yeah, this is kind of the theme of Poltergeist. You know, right? Like eventually they're all of, they're all kind of mining similar territory, which is why I don't get terribly excited about them. Right. And uh, I don't expect too much from them. You know, if they give me a, a few scares, they show me kind of an interesting story. That's good enough for me, but there's got to be something just crazy stand out about it before right. I'm going to be like, oh my God, you know, run out and see this one. Right. That's exactly how I feel about it. Like, it, it's it's perfectly serviceable. It's a good movie. And, and somebody who maybe doesn't watch as many horror movies as we do would probably find this pretty scary. Oh, I yeah. think it's a scary movie. Oh yeah. 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 I think sure. it's a scary movie. Um I again I, I, I'm not I don't really have anything negative to say about it. I think it is perfectly competent. I think it's well shot. I think it's well directed. I think it's well acted. I think the story is adequate. <laughs> <laughs> it kept me engaged. And I really liked the um I, I genuinely was engaged with this family. I, I was interested in them. I was interested in what was, what was going to happen to them. I, I really, I don't know if it's right to say I was sad, but it was kind of a gut punch it was. that they got that cute little kid at the end. It really was. It made me sad. You know, it kind of makes you sad all around. Like, just the whole idea, right? This desperate mother who goes to this extreme just to have kids, and now... Then she doesn't want to lose her kids, and so she's stuck in this cycle. With, you know that she is having more and more just to not lose them, and then of course you got to pay the devil his due eventually, and and that's a shame because this family, like you said, is just so loving and and caring, and they're just so good. Um, so yeah, it's kind of unfortunate. I, I just wanted to. It just occurred to me. Stephen King has a a short story that is somewhat similar to this it's it's called grandma uh i think it was in skeleton crew maybe night shift i don't remember but i really like that story and it deals with satanic fertility issues too so if you're interested check that out oh okay <laughs> interesting well I'm, i've gone kind of down a little rabbit hole of indonesian horror movies i'm, I'm very curious what maybe we need to do a theme month at some point there's there's a lot that this director has done. Um, obviously, the sequel to this. He did one apparently called Empedagore that looks interesting. I've heard of that. There's like the Queen of Black Magic and um, 
by another director, a one that was highly acclaimed called May the Devil Take You. I've heard of that. All of these get have pretty good ratings, actually, and, and many of them are remakes of earlier movies. And you know how I kind of like the older movies as well. Yeah. I was thinking maybe one day, perhaps around Halloween, we could uh, we could do the original Satan Slaves because it looks suitably campy yeah, and could be fun. So, Sure. Yeah. Well, greetings again from Indonesia. Thank you very much for listening to another episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend. You can find us online just by Googling Two Guys and a Chainsaw Podcast. Find our website, uh, find our Twitter feed, find our brand new uh, Instagram page. Drop us a note at any one of those places. Let us know what you thought of this film and this episode and any other movies that we should do in the future. We love taking and fulfilling requests. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With Two Guys and a Chainsaw. Bye.